Hi, and God's blessings to you. I am Pastor Sean Blackwelder, and you're listening to the Genesis United Methodist Church podcast. Genesis is a welcoming community of people just like you, who are developing, nurturing, and living out our faith together. Our mission is to become and make disciples of Jesus Christ to transform the world. We endeavor to love God and to demonstrate that love to our neighbors by serving others. We invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. at 850 High House Road in Cary, North Carolina. And we hope today's podcast is a blessing to you. Our scripture for today uh, is a familiar one. It comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. I'm sorry, 25, rather. It's the parable of the talents, and Jesus says, For it is if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. At once the one who had received the five talents went off and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today we're continuing our our sermon series based on John Wesley's Simple Rules for Money. And we're focusing on the save portion of earn, save, give. He said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. The thing is, today, if we're talking about saving, we might look at the, the guy in this story and wonder, well, what did he do wrong? 
After all, he didn't, he didn't go out and squander the money on his own desires. He didn't gamble it away. He didn't risk it in some crazy business venture. But no, he didn't deposit it with the bankers either. But guess what? My grandfather wouldn't have either. Uh, one of the, uh, the memories I have as a, a child is, uh, <clears throat> is my mother and my aunt having Papa get out his wallet and count out all the money that he had on it. Now, let me assure you that my grandfather was not a wealthy man. But that day he had on his person over $1,500 in cash. <laughs> now, they were afraid that carrying all that cash on him would make him a target. In fact, it already had. He had already been robbed before, and they wanted him to keep the money safe, to keep it in a bank. But Papa had grown up during the Great Depression, and he had seen banks fail, and he had seen people lose just about everything they had. So in his mind, he was doing the responsible thing. The slave in the parable, it seems, also thought that he was being responsible. But ultimately, the charge against him wasn't that he was irresponsible, was it? What were the words the master used? Wicked. Lazy. Another translation says pathetic. This is how the master referred to him. By the, by the way, Slave is really not the, the best term uh, to use in this case. Uh, the Greek word that is translated slave here is oikonomos. It comes from the, the root word of oikos, which is the, the Greek for family or household. And the one who was oikonomos would ha have been kind of uh, the person who managed the finances for the household. Interestingly, it's also the very same word that we translate as steward, as in stewardship. Right? And in Jesus' time, a steward would have been somebody who had earned a great deal of trust, enough trust for the master of the household to put him in charge of all of this wealth. And he would have great personal discretion in how to employ that wealth and how, how to best use it. But... If it was a faithful steward, he would have realized that all of those funds were always owned by the master. He was the steward. In his sermon, The Use of Money, upon which this series is based, John Wesley said that the ground and reason for his teachings on money was our role as stewards. He, wrote, he preached the possessor of heaven and earth brought you into being and placed you in this world, not as a proprietor, but as a steward. As such, he entrusted you for a season with goods of various kinds, but the sole property of these still rests in him. And he continues his thinking in The Good Steward, where he says, we are not at liberty to use what he has lodged in our hands as we please, but as he pleases, according to his will. 
You see, at, at the heart of a biblical perspective on money, on wealth and possessions, is the acceptance of the truth that none of it, none of it really belongs to us. The idea of a self-made man or a self-made woman is a, a, a delusion because it is all given to us by God's grace. Yes, we do better when we cooperate with God's grace in that, but it all is a result of God's grace. And we're stewards of what has been entrusted to us by God's great generosity. And God charges us with, with using those things in ways that glorify God. These things that ultimately belong to God. And using them in ways that correspond with the will of God and not just with our own ideas. Now, I have to confess something here. Since we're talking about saving today, um, my wife will tell you I've never really been good at saving. <laughs> spending, oh yeah, <laughs> very, very much, very much spending. One of my most vivid uh, ch childhood memories of this time of year is when something came in the mail called the Sears Wish Book. <laughs> yeah, you remember, right? Love the Sears wish book. It was a catalog of everything a kid could ever want and, and much, much more. And I remember laying on the floor and combing through, through the pages and making mental notes of all of those things that I, I would ask Santa for in a letter that, that Christmas, as well as mental notes of all of the rest of the things that I would buy if I had all the money. The Sears Robot Corporation was nothing if not savvy because what they knew was that they were not only advertising what was available to purchase at that time, but they were also training customers for the years to come. And it's safe to say that Although Sears did not know the online retail revolution was coming, in the 1970s, Sears was king. And although Sears has faded over the years, much like those wish books, the mentality that they fostered in those catalogs lives on, doesn't it? Because when we're asked what we would do if we came into a large amount of money, most of us are just grown-up versions of that little kid laying on the floor and making a mental list of all of those things that we would like to have. And in a night kind of culture, a culture in which the ethos of keeping up with the Joneses is celebrated and it dictates what our desires are supposed to be, we have to admit that saving is truly a challenging thing for us to do. And yet, the Christian faith is nothing if it is not countercultural, if it does not push back against the prevailing ethos. And we have to admit that saving in a prudent way is difficult because 
it calls for a radical reorganization of our lives. But Christ calls for a radical reorganization of our lives. A radical reorganization of what our priorities should be. So to change our mindset around saving is to experience conversion in a way. And it is to reorient our lives around the values of God's kingdom. The kingdom that we pray that may come on earth as it is in heaven. And it may come as a surprise to most people that most of what the Bible teaches about riches, about money, it is not about supporting your church or, or your faith community. It is about saving. Saving our souls. It's about drawing us into a deeper relationship with the God who made us in the divine image. The God who invites us to be co-creators in this incredible work that God is doing. And that that is why when we talk about stewardship in the church, our focus is not on the bills that we may have to pay. Our focus is on making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And if we're doing that, well, the finances will take care of themselves. I think of the example of Osceola McCarty. Uh, she was a woman who was born in Mississippi in 1908 and raised by her grandmother and her aunt. They cleaned houses, they, cooked, they, they did laundry uh, to uh, support their household. And when she was eight, Osceola started after school working ironing clothes for people so that uh, she could earn a little extra money. And when she did that, she started saving money at age eight. And then her aunt became very ill. And Osceola, unfortunately, had to drop out of school after sixth grade and take up her aunt's share of the, the household work, doing laundry for, for other people. And she was never able to return to school, but she spent the rest of her life taking great pride in, in her work, using the gifts that God had given her. Hard work gives your life meaning, she said. Everyone needs to work hard at something to feel good about themselves. Every job can be done well, and every day has its satisfactions. If you want to feel proud of yourself, you've got to do things you can feel proud of. But 86 years old, Osceola's hands had grown arthritic and she could no longer do the work. And at 86 years old, she finally retired. And here's where the story gets really interesting. She had taught herself throughout her life, as St. Paul says, to be content with whatever it was she had. And so instead of spending the money on herself, she started adding to that little bit of money she started saving at age eight. And by the time... She retired. This woman who had been paid in little bits of coin and, and bills throughout her life had set aside $280,000. And so setting aside just enough that she could live on 
Osceola gave $150,000 to the University of Southern Miss to fund scholarships for needy students so that they could receive the education she never had the opportunity to get. Now, when the city of Hattiesburg found out what they had done, the people in that city made donations that more than tripled her original investment. And today, there's an endowment that the University of Southern Mississippi uses to give full tuition McCarty scholarships from every year. When John Wesley preached to the early Methodists to save all you can, he was not suggesting just to hoard wealth, to be a a miser in order to have more for ourselves. He writes, all this is nothing if a man not go forward if he does not point all this at a farther end. Nor indeed can a man properly be said to save anything if he only lays it up. In other words, this encouragement to save all you can is not a justification to hoard wealth for ourselves. It's not just to accumulate wealth or to satisfy our desires. No, followers of Christ save all we can as a spiritual practice in order to help us grow toward a higher purpose. Discovering how our resources, our time, our talents, and yes, our financial generosity can be used to bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And as Christians in the Methodist tradition, we need a method. Chances are if you're living in Cary, you've probably figured some of that out. But one method that we might employ that's very simple in helping people to organize around these principles is something called the 10-10-80 plan. And it goes like this. 10% goes to God, the the tithe, the first fruits. 10% goes uh, to savings, to set aside for the future. And then the other 80% you can live on with joy and, and gratitude. Now, I realize that not everybody's in the same position. And I say this a lot of times to people. For some folks, a tithe is a good goal to work toward. Right? For others, it's a good place to start. Jesus said, from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. The point is not to be legalistic about that 10%. The point is to be intentional, to cooperate with God, and to prayerfully consider what God is calling you to give, and then be faithful in answering that call. The same rule might apply to our saving. We just need to start where we are. There's one preacher who said that no one wants to begin where we are. We'd like to begin where we'd be if we had started out when we should have. (laughs) But the response to that is to know that it's never too late to start. You start where you are, you begin 
with small steps and, and you work toward a new and different life shaped by God's desire for you and for our world. Next Sunday, we're concluding this series, and it's also going to be our commitment Sunday. So there's something I'd like to ask of you. You will see these cards out there in your seats. So I want you to fill them out today. I want you to take these cards with you, and I want you to pray. Ask God to guide you and to prayerfully consider how God would have you commit in your giving for the coming year. And then bring these cards back next Sunday. And if you're not going to be here, you can, um, you can drop them off by the office uh, during the week, or you can mail them in, or you can bring them back with you the following week. And there's also an online version that you'll be able to use instead. Now, why do we do this? It's not to put you on the hook. In fact, there's a line that, uh, here that, that says you may change your commitment at any time. But we do this in order to be good stewards with all that God has given us. The finance team uses your commitment in order to draw up our budget for ministry and mission in the coming year. Because the work we do in our church here at Genesis and around the world is ultimately rooted in the work of God's generosity in you. So let us pray. Holy God and giver of all good gifts, we know that everything we have has come from you, has been entrusted to us to be good stewards. And we pray that as we plan for the coming year to answer the call of ministry that you have placed upon our life together as a church, that you would help us to be faithful in your call, to use our gifts wisely and with compassion. We pray that you would grant to us the power and the love and the self-discipline that are marks of our faith. In Christ's holy name, amen.